And we're back. I'm Gervier Bra. I'm here with Chamakar Sandu, and we are Screen Off Script. This week, we're getting into everything in the world of movies and TV, including The Book of Boba Fett, WWE's Royal Rumble, and so much more. Folks, it's showtime. How much treasure do we have in reserve? I have plenty of credits. What I'm short on is muscle. Credits can buy muscle. If you know where to look. In our first segment, we're going to be talking about spoilers for this massive episode of The Book of Boba Fett. But if you want to skip around, this is going to be a little bit more of a variety show this week. We're going to be talking about the Royal Rumble. We're going to be talking about the news stories from this week. And obviously our recommendations. If you want to look, check our time steps in the description. You can find where you want to be. Jumma, let's start with The Book of Boba Fett. Because business has finally picked up. And again, spoilers, but Mando is back. How cool is this fucking episode? Oh my god. Was this an episode of the Book of Boba Fett or was this an episode of The Mandalorian? The fact that you see Mando right off the jump is like the best thing ever. It was such a it was such a palate cleanser after like basically let's be real, like a subpar season of Book of Boba Fett so far this year. Yeah, I feel like this is what we needed, right? Book of Boba Fett has been good. It hasn't really hit the high mark of what The Mandalorian has set over the last couple of years. Yep. And just to have an entire episode just dedicated to Mando, see where what he's been up to, where is he at, what's the latest with him, was just a fantastic move by everyone behind the scenes on this season. And, and it goes to show that we are going to get consistent overlap between this expanded Star Wars universe on Disney+, Plus on these shows. And, and I feel like it's a good thing for fans to kind of you know put their teeth into because now you're not going to just have a dedicated show on the mandalorian or the book of boba fett or any of the shows that we're getting there's going to be a lot of crossover between these worlds and these stories and these characters and i'm all for that that is honestly the best thing about this all because it's very reassuring at the end of the day what we were getting from the book of boba fett so far it's been okay but at the end of the day we've been like our standard has been raised so much through the mandalorian and this episode reinforced all of that. We're finally back on track. The one thing I will say, the production value on this episode alone, what a stark contrast compared to what we had before. It felt like we were watching something in IMAX and before we were watching something on VHS. Total difference. I completely agree. And that's one of my biggest takeaways from this episode is the production value. Like yeah. the, the sets, the, the special effects, just it honestly felt like a movie it just like there was such a cinematic feel yeah. to this entire episode i wonder and if it's it, because we were stuck on like tatooine just purely for the book of boba fett versus this is like we we explore this whole new ring space station that's like this whole new set and we never really got to explore anything outside of tatooine so far but this felt like something so fresh yeah, maybe. It could also just be the fact that obviously they have different directors and different crews working on different episodes. And my goodness, it just like literally not only one of the best episodes, obviously easily the best episode of The Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. I'd rank this episode as one of the best Mandalorian episodes too. Like everything that happened, the, 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 the world building, the lore building, just the scenes between him and the other characters. It was just, it was such a pleasure to yep. watch this episode almost to the point by the time we got to the end i didn't want it to end but the yeah. cool thing now is we know mando is involved for the remainder of this season of the book of boba fett which is now going to make every single episode appointment viewing everyone's going to definitely be waiting until this episode drops now for the next three or four weeks business like you said at the beginning of the episode has definitely picked up yeah it's kind of funny because like as much as what we expected from this show right we as a fan base i'm i think what we've realized is Star Wars lore and the origins of something like the Book of Boba Fett, people have been trying to like speculate on that for 30 plus years. It's so hard to satiate a fan base that's been like booking something in their heads for so, so long. The future, as we now know, is so much more interesting for Star Wars. What we don't know, what we haven't explored, you know, obviously they're still based in the world of Star Wars. So like the idea of like Mandalorians, that's still fun. That's still fresh. but. I don't, I don't think there's as much baggage going forward with the stories that we're going to tell as opposed to like people just have such high expectations of what they wanted from the, the, the continuing story of Boba Fett. And I think that's what the show is, was really facing in the early episodes. One of my favorite pieces of dialogue from this episode was when the armorer says, 
well, so much for the Empire. They had 30 years. Mandalorians yeah. have been around for 10,000 years. Hell and it just yeah. goes to show, outside of the Empire, outside of the Skywalker family, outside of just Jedi stories, there are so many more interesting stories to, to delve into in the expansive Star Wars universe. And that's why Mandalorian has been such a hit. Like, they've done something with Mandalorian and other characters and other stories that are making you know this journey as enjoyable as anything else star wars has given us absolutely i want to pick up into that in just a few minutes but one thing i do want to just before we even move forward i think we have to talk about the fact that pedro pascal is back as din Djarin. like we didn't really deep dive into that so far yet and i don't want to skip it so first off tell what are your impressions first thing you see is this guy basically walk in cut somebody in half with the dark saber within like two minutes of him existing on the screen. What were your thoughts on Mando, your impression of him returning? How did it feel just to have like our favorite Star Wars character back? Well, look, the, ret- the, the title of this episode is the return of the Mandalorian. And that opening scene of him literally walking through kind of like uh, a butcher shop of sorts and just like, killing everybody just destroying everybody using the dark saber everything about that whole scene made him look cool even yep. some of the dialogue they give him whereas like listen i can either take you warm or i can take you cold and ultimately he is walking out with the dude's head like mando is like legit like one of the best coolest most awesome characters in star wars universe already man i think the way people have been talking about how badass like Boba Fett was like as we were like growing up you know this 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 badass space cowboy who just like is the most powerful like Mandalorian in the universe and like one of the most powerful warriors in the universe I don't know if we've gotten that from Boba Fett so far but I feel like what people have been describing has lived up in in Din Djarin and in that character I feel like we finally got this elite level Star Wars character like essentially like at this point going forward Dinjarin's a legend, right? Like he's basically like a Star Wars legend. Like he's up there with basically any other main character that's existed in Star Wars. Oh, you're bang on the money. Like if after these shows we see Mando turn up in movies, like I'm down. Like he could yeah. have his own movie at some point in the future. Like he's already been built up. They've booked him so well and built up his story. Like he's already been through so much shit in in the two seasons that we've seen. And now he's going to be in this season of Book of Boba Fett. So let's see what other stuff he gets into. Just, oh man, just like literally this episode was chef's kiss for me, man. Chef's kiss. There's so many interesting storylines going forward, especially with the Darksaber. Obviously they refer to the fact that whoever wields the Darksaber basically leads the Mandalorians. And you have to win that through combat and there's just so many things that they did in this episode to advance on the lore of the dark saber one for example is when he's battling the armorer and again not to sidestep that we got the return of the armorer which was fucking awesome just to see that character return in basically a new hideout for the mandalorians we find out that as they're training the dark saber gets heavier every time he wields it because he's not fighting with it He's like basically using it as a tool or whatever they explained it as. But it's just cool to see them expanding on the lore of that weapon. Yeah, and also he injures himself in that opening scene with the Darksaber. So clearly Din Djarin hasn't figured out how to use it. And obviously he gets a little training there with the armorer. But it it, it goes to show that it's going to take some time for him to really understand how to use this weapon but just seeing him use a dark saber was cool and seeing him interact with the the under, other mandalorians especially the armorer just like oh man it was just so cool and and also like you said at the beginning that set like this kind of space station that was like a ring spinning around where it gets like you know a bit of sun going through it every once in a while as it kind of goes through its rotation just again a completely different locale in the star wars universe that we haven't seen before and yeah everything about this felt fresh but it felt cool and it was informative and even the parts of the show or episode rather that gave us a lot of explanatory scenes, which for the most part, you know, don't really work for me. It worked for me in this episode. It really did. Yeah, I think in this episode, it felt like more like we're catching up with Mando and we're figuring out everything that's been happening with him and what we're going to be like teases going forward. And one thing I will say is uh, what you were mentioning before is the fact that he is, you know, pretty shit with the Darksaber right now. We're exploring this journey with him and it's going to be fun because when he earns that moment, 
of being able to wield it like a master, like a badass, that's going to feel so much more satisfying down the line. And this episode and the moment that we're going through right now with him is just like the foundation of where we're about to go. That's great booking. That's just fantastic booking. And I'm so excited for that. But also we get we get more of an update on the fact that he has completed his quest of delivering Grogu. And they mentioned one thing of like last in the last season of The Mandalorian, we saw him get that spear made of Beskar. And they're not supposed to be weapons, apparently. They're only supposed to be armor. So he decides to change that into a gift, basically, for a foundling because he wants to give something to Grogu, which is absolutely adorable. Like, like what a heartwarming part of the story just to throw in there, just to remind us, like, hey, we're not just watching some guy who's a badass. We're watching a character who's going through something really emotional and building this attachment with a character, which is also crazy because they also mention how for Jedi's attachment is unhealthy, but for Mandalorian's loyalty and solidarity, that's the way. Yeah. And going forward, obviously, this is going to be a real conflict that Grogu's going to have to go through of choosing basically a life of, does he want that companionship through the life of a Mandalorian or does he want to live to his fullest potential as a Jedi uh, through his training with Luke Skywalker? Yeah, I wonder what the gift is that's been made out of that Beskar. And, and clearly, I feel like the tease has been set up that we're going to get Grogu yeah. in this season of Book of Boba Fett. It looks like that's where Mando... I, I don't think I don't think we're getting him here. I feel like we're, they're saving that. That was just the tease. And now we're going to get that in the next Mandalorian. I feel like they can't pay that off right now. Hmm. I'm in two minds. I feel like the way this episode ended, where he essentially says, like, I need to go see a little friend. He needs to visit a little friend yeah. first before he helps Boba Fett. Yeah. I don't know if that was a tease to perhaps the next episode because ultimately we're going to have Mando help Boba. And if we if he goes to see a little friend, do we see that? Or is it just something that is talked about but isn't actually visualized? And I feel like the fact that they've already put so much emphasis in this episode of like, oh, he's made this gift. Like we want to see what that looks like in terms of him delivering that gift. Does that Does that scene itself bring Grogu back into the fold? and back with Mando on this journey through space and through the Star Wars universe. So the jury is out on that on that part of things. But one of the things I wanted to quickly discuss is, is one of, it's probably one of my favorite scenes in the entire episode. And it's when he's leaving this space station and he's about to go to Tatooine and he's about to board this spaceship, <laughs> how he has to get rid of all of his weapons. And it was so hilarious. Like He basically has he, to go through the space version of the TSA. Yeah. <laughs> And he's like it. just dropping off like guns and knives and explosives. And oh, it was just like the the Batman utility belt of like yeah. all these weapons, right? And I thought that, that was just so a fantastic good. scene. So good. That was great. And that's right before he's finally back on Mose Isley and he reconnects with the mechanic. Where's the ship? Right this way. Ready to have your mind blown? Again, another super fun character. She presents him with something she said that was a handmade ship for the Queen of Naboo in the Starfighter that she presents him. So, I, I mean, that, that's Padme, right? I, I just want to confirm that that's Padme, right? Listen, I think it's great that they use the history of Star Wars in and like very kind of like interesting and unique ways. Like, this is a throwback to episode one. Yeah. It's like literally a throwback to episode one. And yeah. it's like leaning on the history, but not in a slap you in the fa face yeah. major. Like, it's only a, like a starship. But... It's a nice little Easter egg. It's, it's a nice little awesome. tip, tip of the cap and a wink to the hardcore fans of Star Wars to see something like a spaceship or a starship just be brought back into the world of the Mandalorian slash the Book of Boba Fett. Honestly, the Starfighter looks amazing. And when, when she just shows us the stripped parts of, of the Starfighter and we're just looking at it, in my head, I'm thinking like, my initial thought was, I don't recognize this. Is this a pod racer? And then in my head, I'm like, why don't they bring back pod racers? That's what they should have given that weird little biker gang that has the colorful little sh things like in the last two episodes. They should be riding, riding around in pod racers. They look so much cooler. And that's such a missed opportunity in them returning to Tatooine. That was one of the coolest parts of episode one, if you ask me. But yeah, again, the Starfighter is amazing. It's going to be so cool when someone else recognizes it because... The fact that they have that as a ship is basically dangling the carrot of where is this character going to be who comes down the road, who recognizes the ship and 
is familiar with the stories and the events of the prequel trilogy and they're going to be the ones that this is going to be a massive payoff for for me this is like the equivalent of like finding like a 64 chevy or something it's such a badass car to get yeah. to like ride around in, and uh yeah it's gonna be so much fun uh, one thing also that they mentioned is the fact that they just teased a little bit where they say Bo-Katan is a cautionary tale. Have you ever heard of Bo-Katan Kreez? Bo-Katan is a cautionary tale. She once laid claim to rule Mandalore based purely on blood and the sword you now possess. That was a really interesting little nugget to drop in here because the whole episode it feels like is a setup for what's going to be going on with Din Djarin going forward where Number one, we have the flashback to the Mandalore falling, and that's such an incredible scene. But also, he divulges the information that he removed his helmet. So they basically kick him out and say, you're not a Mandalorian anymore. And now he's on a journey for redemption by going to Mandalore and being redeemed in the living waters beneath the mines of Mandalore. As nerdy as that sounds, it sounds like the most amazing journey, and I'm so ready to go on it with them. And it's a perfect setup for season three of, of The Mandalorian. It feels like this this season of, of Book of Boba Fett, we're going to get Mando. I, I, I This is my gut gut instinct. I think we're going to get him and Grogu back together. They will help Boba Fett on whatever happens throughout the, 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 the rest of this series of The Book of Boba Fett. And then right into season three of Mandalorian, like you said, it's about his redemption. He's... It looks like at the moment been almost disavowed by the rest of the Mandalorian until he can redeem himself. But like you said, at the same time, it's like Bo-Katan is out there and the Darksaber is out there and who's going to lead the Mandalorians? And it feels like Mando and Bo-Katan are going to be the two rivals heading into season three. And, yep. and then, like you said, we're going to get to explore Mandalore or what's left of it, who's there, are there more Mandalorians? And man, it's a it's a very exciting setup for season three, I think. Absolutely. And I, the fact that we're going to be able to see Mandalore down the road is going to be so awesome. We're going to basically delve deeper into the lore of Mandalorians in general. This feels like Jedi level cool for me. Like, I love how much they're elevating Mandalorians through the show and through the Mandalorian as well. And it feels like as much as as much fun as we had going through the Skywalker saga, this is the new saga. Like we're in the Mandalorian saga going forward. And I am so down and so excited to see where we go in this journey. I still don't think we're going to get a lot of the answers as it pertains to Din Djarin going forward, just because I feel like they're going to save all of that for season three of the Mandalorian, which we're, I'm pretty sure we're still getting at the end of this year. And I think it's still the perfect time to, to seal up all like the, the holes in the story of book of Boba, uh, in the Boba Fett story and see where we're going to be going forward with that, making him the leader of the crime syndicate and all that kind of stuff. And that way Din Djarin has like this massive asset whenever he goes back to the Tatooine. I think as far as the little friend goes, I think that's probably going to end up being Carl Weathers character. Uh, I feel like, that makes more sense for me because the fact that he said little friend is is too much of of a play on Grogu, right? Like we, the wording makes you think it's Grogu, but it's like there's no fucking way it's Grogu. That's too much of a payoff to to just give us right now. That's a massive payoff they got to give us down the road because he has to go through all this training with Luke, and he has to at least have some sort of basis of an attachment with Luke as well in, in a completely different way than a Jedi mentality, whatever. But I feel like the payoff for that is going to come way down the road. It's interesting how you and me both have different takes on little friend. Cause I obviously think it's Grogu and I think we're going to get to see him and Mando come together maybe in the next episode or two, and they're going to be back in the fold. And you think we're not going to see that until way you know further down the road. So way very interesting to see like how this actually, you know, plays out over the next yeah. couple of episodes yeah 100 percent. and also one thing i did want to quickly mention before we move on is this episode was directed by bryce dallas howard and i just wanted to get your take because i know when we were watching the mandalorian the first you know her episodes in the first two seasons mixed bags for you i know those were like some of your weaker rated episodes how did you feel about this one i did not know that that is incredible to me and i have to say a round of applause to to bryce dallas howard because you're right i was not a fan of the episodes that she has directed previously for The Mandalorian. And for to, to now know that she was behind this episode of Book of Boba Fett, man, she leveled up big time. Like big I said, time. 
not only the best episode of Book of Boba Fett, but I would say pound for pound, this stacks up with any of the best episodes of the Mandalorian period. It's so good. Yeah, I think not only that, but it's made the Book of Boba Fett all of a sudden it's a massively mandatory show to watch. And now as a Star Wars fan, you got to just, you got to be on this journey. It's not a maybe anymore. It's a mandatory watch. Uh, I think this was a really fun, like side plot episode to see where Mando is basically getting his new ship. And again, the tease with the little friend, we're going to see where that pays off next week, but I'm so massively excited going forward. This was such a badass episode. I know we're not scoring it, but this would be such a high score if you ask me. Uh, but 100%. yeah, that's everything for this week's episode of the Book of Boba Fett. I really want to talk about some of these news stories. The first story I got is Dwayne Johnson says that he's going to be doing another video game movie. The quote was, we're going to bring one of the biggest, most badass games to the screen, one I've played for years. First off, what is 50 plus year old Dwayne The Rock Johnson playing as far as video games go? Because I don't believe him for a second. Man, what would it be? Like... What's the rumor? Like, what's the, what, what, are, what are people on the internet think this video game adaptation is going to be? I feel like it's Gears of War. I feel like Gears of War is, is probably, number one, the, the biggest frontrunner in my head. But I think it'd be really cool because there's always been this online chatter of doing Gears of War with Dave Bautista. And he looks like he's tailor-made for this. And if, if, if you told me, like, two main characters in the Gears of War story were going to be The Rock and Bautista... I think that's like a match made in heaven. And it's not only will it it'd be really elevated by the star power of The Rock, but performance-wise, I think to see Dave Bautista act with The Rock would elevate The Rock to be like, oh shit, I should be a better actor. Look at this dude. A, I love that. B, home run casting right there. And finally, C, it would be awesome to see The Rock and Batista, who have taken two completely different paths in the world of acting and Hollywood and movies post their pro wrestling career, actually come together, having forged their own identity and their yeah. own paths. I think, you know what, the time is now. It makes all the sense in the world. And I think they would have a lot of fun working together. And like you said, you know, in terms of casting, two big guys that are very believable in military holding crazy ass weapons and guns you know destroying monsters and aliens that sounds like a lot of fun to me yeah and honestly the fact that they didn't really have much of a crossover as far as their pro wrestling careers went like there was a little bit of an overlap in about like 0304 but not much at all the biggest match i could even think of is what wrestlemania 20 where it was evolution versus the rock and saw connection and that's the closest thing that they ever had to a match other than that basically no interaction at all and i think that would make yeah. it almost more fun yeah there was no one-on-one -on -one, there was no rivalry they if you look at the size of them like had they had some crossover i think it would have been a pretty interesting and fun build but yeah the fact that they didn't have that kind of like one-on-one -on -one interaction maybe they can perhaps you know use that and see what kind of chemistry they would have on the big screen in a movie yeah yeah and i think especially like the like the idea of like the rock and like john cena in a movie i, I don't know how eager i am to see that just because i feel like they're from like the same branch of like the acting right. tree batista's a different dude man that guy is like he provides a different fresh little take and it'll be interesting to see how he interacts with someone like the rock who is spider-man he's a criminal that's who he is a vigilante a public menace what's he doing on my front page next we have sony is reportedly set to film the spider-man spin-off madam web this year which obviously has to be capitalizing on the success of Spider-Man No Way Home. It seems like they're they're down to explore the weirder worlds of Spider-Man. And they, they kind of realize like, okay, cool. What we've been doing with Spider-Man conventionally, you know, we can't really explore that one from one because that's what they're doing in the MCU. It feels like they're down to explore the weirder side on their, uh, on, on the Sony Spider-Verse. And I think that is making it much more intriguing for me. And I'm 100% here for this movie. I agree. I feel like, maybe the the tide has turned now in terms of moving forward what, what sony can do what they will do how yeah. much effort they may put behind some of these movies because as we just saw in spider-man no way home like the appetite to see toby Maguire, the appetite to see andrew garfield and the appetite to see more characters in kind of like separate universes we've already now be conditioned to accept multiple universes multiple versions of spider-man and other characters from the spider-man universe we're getting yeah. morbius we're getting other movies from that world and 
you know, as long as they can keep that high, high quality control, and maybe if down the road there's still a bit of crossover with Marvel, then why not? I'm 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 all for it. And to be honest with you, look, we all know that Sony having the rights to this IP, they just see the big bags of cash coming in all the time, and it's uh, it's a proven formula. You know, we know that comic book movies rule the box office. And uh, yeah, I don't blame them. And I just hope, fingers crossed, that the quality control on the production is, is, you know, remains high. Yeah, I think that's what they have to do, especially with the fact that they're establishing all these, like, characters that basically wouldn't have gotten movies in any other era, right? Like, where would Morbius have gotten a movie? Where would Craven the Hunter have gotten a movie? Or Madam Web is probably a character that not too many people are familiar with. So obviously that's a play to to bring a lot of different universes in together and see how they kind of weave together i think that's going to be a lot of fun but this feels like at least they're trying swings that are much more interesting than safe bets i'd rather them do you know massive swings into something weird than try anything safe especially with them coming off venom and obviously i'm not a big fan of venom and everything that happened after spider-man no way home it didn't make venom any more interesting to me going forward i feel like these new weirder projects right up my alley. Next, we got Barbara Broccoli confirms that Idris Elba isn't out of the running for James Bond, and he's very much a part of the conversation. Man, listen, if this was 10 years ago, or even, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, I'd have been like, let's go, let's do this. Finally, let's have a black James Bond. Idris Elba fits the bill perfectly. Yeah. I just don't know if he was to get involved with James Bond and, and actually play 007 now, how how long a run this would be because exactly. traditionally the the broccoli family when they sign on board a, a brand new james bond they usually want to have them tied down to four to five pictures which could easily take up 10 to 15 years of an actor's life yeah are and... we trying to see a 60 65 year old james bond i, exactly. I don't know i don't know if that's a uh, it might be interesting to see like you know kind of like what we got with logan where we're seeing like this older version of a character totally beat down, not at the peak of his powers. Or if they do sign him, maybe, you know, he's you know, he's playing a James Bond already halfway into his career. And it's not the typical reboot where it's like, yeah. oh, James Bond has just entered MI6. He's just finished training and he's just meeting Q and getting all of his gadgets. No, this is a James Bond that's already had 10, 15 years of like missions under his belt. And maybe they start to churn them out as quickly as possible, almost like Tom Holland playing Spider-Man, where sure. it felt like there was always like a, a brand new Spider-Man, I don't know, every 18 months, just to expedite the run you can get with Idris um, compared to perhaps Daniel Craig, where we were getting a, a James Bond movie every three or four years. Yeah, maybe this is a situation where they bring in Idris Elba to kind of satiate what they should have done for years. Maybe give him like one movie, and then in the second movie you can introduce uh, his successor, as part of the story. And then by the third movie, you can kill off Idris, you know, move on to whatever the new James Bond would be. And then at least that way you have a continuing story. You have two for the price of one. And that way your lore and this run is going to be able to basically continue for like maybe even 20 years if they really, yeah. really want to. But uh, also we got Netflix confirming that Squid Games 2 is happening. More importantly, the Squid Game universe has begun is their exact quote, which for me, it kind of confirms what we were talking about in our Squid Games episode, which was the fact that going forward, it feels like they can have these games all over the world and then bring together that universe. I feel like this was like a common sentiment and that everybody really thought was not only possible, but like what should happen. And I think it makes the most sense. And I'm pretty excited for that. I think it could be a lot of fun. Yeah, for me, I think it's going to come down to the actual games themselves and how clever they can be how interesting how on the edge of our seat will be we will be as audiences yeah. watching a whole new you know batch of you know contestants and characters kind of like go through a life and death situations i'm excited for a second season of squid game i'm excited to see what netflix that now owns this ip can do with this expansive universe and it'll be a very telling situation to see if this ip gets watered down with so much of content coming out or whether in two years time or three years time we as audiences are still frothing at the mouth interested in more squid games or if by then it just dies out on us yeah last story though is that mortal kombat 2 is in development i just wanted to get your take on that that just came out today what are your thoughts 
don't care. I, I thought the, <laughs> just to be very blunt about it, I, yeah. I was actually fairly excited um, about the kind of, the new Mortal Kombat movie we got last year, but it was so bad. It was, yeah. like, it, it was, it was really, really bad. And it's like, are you going to give me another movie with those same characters? Like, I don't know. I, I guess I've got nothing else going on that weekend. I'll watch it. If it's on a streaming service, just to pass by maybe 90 minutes to two hours. And maybe we can shit on it on this podcast, but <laughs> I have, I have zero, I have zero hype or anticipation for it. Can I tell you the truth? I think what's going to happen the first movie almost felt like a prequel when you think back at it now. We didn't even get the tournament. I think the mm-hmm. fact that going forward we're going to get a tournament, I feel like people are going to get hyped up all over again. Mm-hmm. And I think if they can get the right people involved, especially considering, you know, it's not like it was a failure. It was pretty successful as far as, you know, streaming services go. And I think you can make it into like a really fun tournament and part of a franchise that people actually care about. But once they have that tournament, I think people are going to give them a second chance. And I think you actually have the potential to actually make this a run. So you can really do something with this. And I hope they really do. I don't want this to be like a squandered franchise because Mortal Kombat is such a badass concept. Well, the thing is, the one thing they've got going for them is a hardcore, passionate yeah. fan base. There's been so many Mortal Kombat movies and a, a passionate fan base will always give a second, third, fourth and fifth yeah, chance. Yeah, yeah. They're like, yeah, give, give me more content. Oh, you're going to give me a TV show? I'll take that. Oh, you're going to give me another movie? I'll take that. So it's gonna ha- it's got an inbuilt audience and they wouldn't green light, green light or try to make more movies if they didn't have uh, at least a, a, a you know decent kind of ceiling in terms of how much money they can make from a franchise like this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, that's everything for the news. I really want to get into this week's, maybe the second biggest wrestling event of the entire year. And essentially, if you hear a difference in our audio, just so you know, it's because Jomoth is there in St. Louis covering the Royal Rumble. And you're basically in the thick of things. So I wanted to, like, number one, do a preview because the Royal Rumble is one of my favorite events of the entire year. No matter what, if you watch WWE religiously or if you fall off for years and years and years, it doesn't matter. You can watch this event and you can have a great time because it's just built to do that. Uh, so, yeah, give me, like, your thoughts. Why is the Rumble so special? I think the main thing about the Royal Rumble is it's kind of like the start to the road to WrestleMania. Between Rumble and WrestleMania, you've got like two and a half months of like a program where the payoff is at Mania, but the the seeds are planted at Royal Rumble. And I think yeah. this is the time of year where a lot of lapsed fans, a lot of casual fans, perhaps um, a lot of older fans will come back for a couple of months. They may not yeah. watch WWE year round, but it's like, oh, Royal Rumble. I remember watching that when I was a kid. And they'll kind of get it, get invested in some of the stories. And then they know that, okay, I'll start to maybe pay attention for a couple of months, get that payoff at WrestleMania, and then tune out for another nine months or something like that. But Royal Rumble is exciting because it's unpredictable, right? And I, I, for me, and I'm sure it's the same for you, it's become my favorite WWE event of the year. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's because, taking that spot by like a mile. Yeah. Because it's, it's a, you know, the match itself, the Royal Rumble match is one of a kind no other promotion around the world really does it yeah and it's so unique it's got such great history and you always get surprises the weird thing is, is like at this point i'm not even excited about the royal rumble because it's the beginning of the road to wrestlemania i feel like we've been burnt by bad wrestlemanias like so often in the, like what the past three years or so that you know at this point i'm just excited for the rumble itself i'm so excited for the match because like you said, it's one of the most unique matches. Nobody else in the world can really do it. No major promotion can actually put on a Royal Rumble to the level that WWE does. It's the one thing they have that nobody else has. Nobody can recreate what is so special about the Royal Rumble. And that match itself is just made to satiate every single hardcore fans, like most, most like easily accessible excitement, if that makes any sense. Like, it just feels like, you know how like when we knew that CM Punk was the worst kept secret and he was debuting for AEW, it's because low-key we knew that this guy was going to show up and we're all excited just to get confirmation. And in this match, you get that 30 different times on a smaller scale, right? Like, you don't know who's coming out, but you know it's going to be somebody awesome. And then, you know, even if it's somebody disappointing, it doesn't matter because there's another person coming out in three minutes or two minutes or whatever it is. And it's just such a fun match that just keeps you going and keeps hitting you with these doses of dopamine over and over and over. It's such a great match. I absolutely love it. Yeah. And it's also one of those 
interesting matches that friends end up being pools for like we've got a pool going on with yeah. our friends i've got a pool going on with my colleagues at bt sport and like you said i'm in st louis and one of the things i actually wanted to mention is wwe has taken a very strategic kind of route in terms of the cities that they're going to now with with their kind of like their major pay-per-views like you know nick khan essentially said hey we're gonna try like it's a first of all it's a saturday night and it, and it feels like wwe's pay-per-views now are going to be tr- moving forward going to be fixed on saturday nights but they're taking their events to cities where there is not much else going on like i can tell you right now having spent a few days here in st louis right now it's dead it's almost like a ghost town and there isn't much going on and like everything as you go around town is all centered around promoting royal rumble on saturday night and it feels like it's a smart move from wwe's point of view because you take one of their major premier events to cities and towns where there isn't much else going on that week, it's going to be very, very easy to sell tickets and have a, a sold out crowd. And so kudos to them. And like I said, like St. Louis right now is super, super quiet. Nashville will be hosting SummerSlam this year. They're going to do Dallas Cowboy Stadium for WrestleMania. Like, man, the Cowboys aren't in the Super Bowl or and, and there's no nothing else going on in April uh, for, for the Cowboys. So that stadium's being used. With a tear... In my eye, this is the greatest moment in my life. But yeah, let's get into what are some of your favorite matches from the Rumble? I just want you to give me maybe like three matches that you love. It could be Rumble, could be non-Rumble. What are your favorites? Okay, you know what? I have to say my favorite Royal Rumble, and this is probably going to age me, but I'm going old school. It has to be the 1992 Royal Rumble. Ric Flair entered at number three. And he ends up winning it. But it was such a unique Rumble because the winner of the Rumble would become the WWE champion. And my God, just him winning it, the the promo, everything about that. that is, that's like one of Ric Flair's most iconic moments in his entire pro wrestling career period. It's yeah. something that people revert to a lot. So that's one that kind of like comes to mind right away. Another one that I love, and perhaps this isn't one that people think about too often, but The Rock beating Mankind in the I Quit match at the the 1999 Royal Rumble for the WWE Championship. Incredible It was just so so well done, so well put together. And like even the payoff of keeping Mick Foley slash Mankind strong because he didn't technically say I quit in the match, but it it kept him strong. You put the the, the title on the rock. He becomes this super villain because he's just beating the crap out of mankind with a steel chair and everyone's feeling sorry for mankind. It was just a perfect vehicle to run into WrestleMania and end that program with McFoley. And it absolutely shows just like the value of McFoley. That guy, as far as non-Rumble matches go, he might be Mr. Rumble, right? Like, you know, not as far as being in the actual match, but as far as performances across the board, like him versus Triple H, uh, again, another incredible match that happened at the Rumble. And that guy is up there as one of the greatest performers to put over the future of the business, like over and over and over, whether it's The Rock, whether it's Triple H, whether it's Randy Orton, doesn't matter who it is, that or Edge. Like there's so many times when you can look and be like, this is the moment that this person's career changed. And a lot of times it's because it's versus Mick Foley. So many, so many times. Love that match. And then I guess the final one, and this is purely from the top of my head, is Royal Rumble 1997. And up until this moment, there was such a great history building between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bret Hart. And it was great. It's what it's like one of the all-time best gifts of Stone Cold Steve Austin, kind of looking at his wrist and waiting for the next participant to come out. Bret Hart walks out, Stone Cold Steve Austin loses his mind. And even the way everything ends, where Stone Cold Steve Austin gets eliminated, the referee doesn't see, he goes back in the ring, eliminates the final participants, technically wins the Rumble. He's declared the winner of the Rumble, but that then leads into the fa- the, the final four pay-per-view, which was the next pay-per-view. Just yeah, incredible yeah. storytelling. Yeah, it was fun. It was great stuff. Yeah, a lot like across the board, that road to WrestleMania was fantastic. Like, you just got so many different classic matches on the way. But yeah, just a few for me. One thing I feel like we have to mention as far as modern Rumbles go, 2018 is maybe my favorite, maybe because we were in attendance, but also because, you know, it was just an incredible Rumble. The atmosphere was absolutely amazing with Philadelphia, and it felt like this was one of the last times where. The WWE finally gave me what I wanted so many times, right? Like that whole rumble was like tailor-made with fantastic moments. The fact that Nakamura won, 
Like the fan base was going absolutely bananas in the building that night. They had so much fun. And I could just, I remember like leaving that and being like, that was one of the most fun times I've ever had at a live event period, just because from start to finish, it was so much fun. As far as modern matches go, I think Cena versus Brock versus Rollins is just one of those modern classics that is going to be really hard to top as far as triple threat matches go, as far as rumble matches go. All right. So now let's get into this event this year. Chalmuth, what matches should I be excited about? Just give me like an idea, a little bit of a preview on what's been going on this year. Yeah, look, right now we've got Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley. This has literally been years in the making. And I think everyone, all the media, the broadcast partners, I, I even think the WWE are leaning into the whole MMA background because they've obviously both been professional wrestlers. They've been mixed martial artists. And the fact that they're in the same age bracket, they've had very interesting careers. They're both big, muscular, meaty men. We know this is going to be a short match. We're going to be going 100 <laughs> miles per hour. It's going to be a smash mouth match. And I genuinely don't know who's going to win because yeah. I feel like the loser could later on enter the Royal Rumble. So I'm fascinated to see how that one plays out. Then we've also got Roman Reigns versus Seth Rollins. Again, incredible history between these two guys dating back to the Shield, which they've leaned into on their storytelling because... Rollins has beaten Roman quite a few times. Yeah. And so this is and a, an incredible a... matches, not just, yeah. just to add as in, the, in that as well, just because as far as in-ring wrestling goes, Roman Reigns, I think maybe his best partner is Seth Rollins, right? Like you can have those like car crash matches that he has with Brock. You can name a ton of other matches that he's had that are fantastic, but consistent in-ring wrestling, Roman Reigns versus Seth Rollins is as high as it goes as far as WWE is concerned i agree i feel like seth rollins brings out the best in roman reigns and this genuine i guess concern i guess concern that's the wrong word right now again i think there's genuine intrigue and fascination about maybe can rollins beat roman reigns does is roman the one that drops the belt and ends up and entering the royal rumble he's already broken the record as a universal champion so fascinated to see how that match that match plays out and i have to say I think this year, the men's rumble has way more intrigue for me personally than the women's because the two matches for the WWE Championship and the Universal Championship that will likely precede the men's Royal Rumble will have a massive impact in terms of who enters and who ultimately wins. Because I think for a while now, everyone seems to assume, and rightly so, that the, the, the WWE had to do a little course correction. Right at day one, Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar were supposed to go down. Roman gets COVID. They call an audible. Brock moves over to Raw, enters the WWE Championship match, becomes WWE Champion. Is the Royal Rumble the course correction where they figure out a way to get back to Roman Reigns versus Brock at WrestleMania? Or do they go in a completely different direction? So, like, I'm actually really, really interested to see what actually happens this Saturday because it's ultimately going to be very telling what the main event is at you know, WrestleMania, but also, you know, regardless of Brock and Roman, if that is the match they go with, I don't know what the other big main event's going to be. And I feel like yeah. Royal Rumble will plant the seeds for that. And I, I really, really hope, I really, really hope that we don't get either of those guys as the winner of the Rumble. I think you can get to where you want to go as far as, you know, getting to Brock versus Roman in so many other different ways, but there's only one way to make that other match feel special. And that starts with now, and it starts with somebody else winning the Royal Rumble. And I think, honestly, as far as like, you know, creating stars and creating people that we can finally get excited about. And this is like one of those events that, like you mentioned, a lot of Laps fans are going to be coming back just to check out. Give me a reason to get excited, because I promise you, Laps fans are not coming back and getting excited about Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, it's going to be a good match and it's going to be fun, but... I just can't imagine people are going to get excited about that. I'm hoping, you know, maybe it's somebody like Big E. Maybe it's somebody who's a complete X Factor that we have no idea about, right? Like, what if it's like Finn Balor? What if it's like, you know, AJ Styles? Something like that. We have no clue who it could possibly be that's going to end up winning. And from now until WrestleMania, you could do a lot of work to make them feel like they're special, to get back to that point where this is going to be a really special match opposite of Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. Uh, as far as the Rumble goes, I, I you know, Let's talk about some of the speculation real quick, just to get it over with. As far as the women's rumble goes, again, this is just a potential spoiler. If you don't want to hear it, skip ahead a little bit. But 
there is word that Ronda Rousey might be the surprise that's coming in to show up in the Women's Rumble. Number one, how do you feel about that? Is that something you want? Are you hoping that she wins? That would be wild. Like, I feel like that would be a massive injection to the WWE because as far as the females go, she's arguably one of the biggest stars, regardless of what you feel about her in MMA, regardless of what you feel about her and her, you know, in-ring ability, she moves the needle like, you know, she can only be rivaled by like a Sasha Banks or or a Becky Lynch or someone like that, right? But she's on that level in terms of star power. And I feel like if she's going to come back, she's already had a baby, this is the time to do it. Building to WrestleMania. And like I said before, if Brock and Roman, if that's going to main event like night one or night two of WrestleMania, and you're going to try and fill out eighty to 90,000 people in Cowboy Stadium two nights back to back, Ronda Rousey being a part of the other main event would really help that situation, whether it's her and Bianca or Becky or Charlotte, whatever the the, the ultimate scenario is. Um, I feel like a lot of people are hoping that it's going to be her versus Becky, but I have a feeling that the fact that Charlotte's in this match, that they're setting up for Charlotte versus Ronda to be one of the main events for WrestleMania this year. That's what it feels like to me. That's the impression that I'm getting, especially considering how lacking they are as far as like the women's wrestlers go on SmackDown. Like they don't really have anybody to face Charlotte and I'm not sure who else that would be, but it feels like that's where they're going to lean. And it feels like, they can still do like, you know, Becky versus Bianca if they really want to. That's what it feels like they've been building to on Raw in the first place anyways. And uh, the fact that Ronda's been essentially radio silent for a long, long time. She doesn't do interviews. She doesn't really post much on social media. She's gone away, like I said, had a baby. Like, you know, has she been training and working out like secretly and getting into shape and, and all the rest of it? And man, Do you think she gets booed? That's a great question. And honestly, I'm not sure. I genuinely don't know. Um, she, okay, so gonna, it's one or the other. She either gets booed or she gets crazy cheers. It's one or the other. One, one of the two extremes, I think. I have a feeling that, regardless of the outcome, people are going to be booing no matter what at the end of that woman's rumble, unless you pull a 2008 where Sasha Banks basically comes back from injury, you know, much earlier than anticipated, and she comes back and like wins the rumble or something like that. That's the only other scenario I can think of where the fans leave happy. But let's say like Charlotte wins or Ronda wins. I have a feeling they're going to be bullying at the end of this match. You know what would be cool? And just to fantasy book this for a, for a little bit. So Charlotte as a champion is actually going to be entering the Rumble herself. What if it's like she's the last woman left in the Rumble, right? Number 30 is Ronda Rousey. That's what I mean, right? Like that's, that what, be, I, I, I like, that's what I feel like could possibly happen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. As far as men's surprises go, obviously we don't know a lot about that. There's not too much. I just wanted to speculate a little bit. I'm going to throw out some names. On a scale of 1 to 10, tell me how excited you would be if this person were to enter as a surprise. So the returning Bray Wyatt, 1 to 10, how excited would you be? I would love that because I feel like Bray Wyatt is a WWE guy and they just haven't really managed and handled him well. I highly doubt it is him, but if it would be him, I would be happy for him and I'd be happy for that moment. What are you talking? 1 to 10, how high? 7, 8. Okay. Uh, What about if they brought back for third time to charm Samoa Joe? Five. What about if they brought back Braun Strowman? Three. Not a fan. Keith Lee. Oh, nine or ten. Because like Keith Lee should be a WWE guy. He's a big, big dude who who can really go hard in matches. So yeah, a nine or a ten. I think the the place would pop hard for Keith Lee. What about this is my guaranteed ten. If Zack Ryder, aka Matt Cardona comes back with his new King of the Indies gimmick into the oh Royal Rumble. Oh <laughs> my god. That's definitely a 10. I 100%. That would be a 10. I wonder if he would come back in a, in a Vince McMahon style. Like, oh my god. That whole gimmick. Yeah. Could you imagine? I feel like after everything he's done in the Indies for this past year, like that guy's 180, in far, as far as perception goes, is up there with basically anybody else for the entire year. Absolutely yeah. crushed it this year. But uh, man, I- I'm so excited for the Rumble. I, there's no way I can't be, you know... I'm not excited for like Becky Lynch versus Dewdrop or Edge and Beth Phoenix versus The Miz and Maurice. Like those are filler matches and that's fine. But we got four top not top notch matches that are absolutely going to deliver one way or another. And I'm so excited to see how they're able to execute on for me the highest stage that they possibly have. For me, you know, I've been to Royal Rumbles before as a fan. 
to be here uh, as a part of a broadcast partner, to work the event, create content, help promote it. It's fun. This is, you know, this is, uh, you know, when I was a kid, it was just a purely as a, as a fan of pro wrestling, as a fan of WWE. I feel like, pinch me, man. Like, I'm in St. Yeah. Louis, you know, covering the, the Royal Rumble. Yeah, exactly. There's you know. no way you can't get excited about the Rumble. It's the Straight most up. fun time in, in WWE the entire year. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, let's get into our last segment of the week. Let's get wrecked. Our weekly recommendation segment. Same way you'd see Tom's pick or Brad's pick. What is Sandu's pick this week? Okay, so I saw this a little bit late, but Harry Potter's 20th anniversary reunion show called Return to Hogwarts dropped over the holidays, over the Christmas period. It's available on HBO Max, or if you're in Canada, it's on Crave. I have to say, I had a fun time watching this. Like, I wouldn't say I'm like the biggest Harry Potter fan you'll ever meet, but I did kind of enjoy the movies, and, I, and it was something that I enjoyed watching every couple of years. And now that enough time has been removed where everyone can come together and celebrate it and talk about the ups, the downs, the trials, the tribulations. You know, I thought it was a, one of the better reunion specials I've seen in recent years. All right. Awesome. Uh, I'm definitely haven't got a chance to check that out yet, but I'm, it's on my list. It's hundred percent on my list. I'm definitely going to watch it. I am a huge Harry Potter. Guy, so I'm excited to check that out. Uh, for me, for Broad's pick, I'm going with Atlanta starring Donald Glover, Zazie Beetz, Lakeith Stanfield, and Brian Tyree Henry. The reason I'm recommending it now is because the show returns for its third season on March 24th. So it's the perfect time to binge it before it comes back. They've already wrapped the filming for season three and four, the last two seasons confirmed for the show. And basically, it's you're, you should catch up now so you can be part of this ride that they're going to go on. Donald Glover has been somebody, uh, like I'm a fan of his in so many different facets whether it's his music, whether it's stand-up, whether it's community or whatever he's a part of. I've been a fan of his for a very long time. So knowing how much effort and knowing how good this show has been for the first two seasons, I think people need to hop on this ride, join the Atlanta train and check it out because it's a show of them like basically trying to make it in the world of hip-hop, but in such a unique way. Like If this was written by like Aaron Sorkin, that wouldn't surprise me. It's just such an interesting take. He's always described it as Twin Peaks, but set in the hip hop world. Um, it feels like that show that we're going to like look back on and be like, whoa, all these people were a part of this. Like all these people, like they're, they're incredible actors. How are these like generational actors all a part of this one show? So go out of your way, check it out. It's amazing. Again, the third season returns on March 24th. Try to get it done before then. But uh, that's everything this week. Jump with the work anybody find us. We are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcast. And Spotify and Apple both have uh, an opportunity for listeners to rate and review. So if you can take out 30 seconds uh, from your schedule, please do rate and review us. It honestly goes a long way on helping us get found by new listeners on these platforms. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys. Take care.